0: Making Spirits Bright, part three, get a Bible. I want to talk to you about the two messengers, the two messengers of the Christmas covenant. And I want to start with one of the last verses in the Old Testament from Malachi chapter 3, verse one. And it reads like this. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And we can't imagine Malachi's excitement, the way he starts with that word, behold, you you get the, the feeling as he speaks prophetically that something big is about to happen. Watch for this. Look at this. We can't imagine the anticipation in the prophet's mind as he posts, sensing the Spirit of God, giving him the words as he posts that announcement. Little did he know, I'm sure Malachi had very little understanding that there would be almost 400 years after he said those words, there would be, think about it, 400 years of silence. 400 years without profit, miracle, vision. 400 years before the heavens would sparkle and the crisp night air would hear the angelic chorus and see that star over the manger. See, we, we have the luxury of looking back. Looking back, pondering the Advent. The meaning of Christmas is, is just so conveniently available for examination. The songs are in the malls, the cards, the books. We have the, the scriptural accounts. So we can readily conjure up a picture of that first Christmas. Malachi, there was no such picture available. It was all hidden behind the veil of the future. No no idea of exactly what Christmas would be like. He could call none of that to mind. So there's the Old Testament. The Old Covenant winding up, closing with the promise of these two distant messengers who were yet to come. Apparently, Malachi says, the first would prepare the way for the second. That's what was going to happen. And the long, dark silence from heaven would end. The fulfillment of all the Old Testament dreams would come to pass. Divine light would shine as never before. I'm talking about the two messengers of the Christmas covenant because I believe we're meant to see a link between the old dispensation, the old covenant, and the new. So, Malachi faithfully traces out the roots of God's greatest gift to the world. He traces it through the Old Testament Jewish covenant. Contrary to what our Jewish friends believe, even today, these two messengers have both already come. We're not waiting for Elijah, and we're not waiting for the Messiah's entrance into history. The divine Messiah to whom... Malachi pointed his prophetic finger, said he says he, he came to his temple. That's right in that verse. Came to his temple. So he arrived while there was still a temple to come to. So the Messiah came to his temple before the second temple was destroyed and no third temple exists. So clearly, this is a past event. It's worth noting just a bit more to point out that the New Testament repeatedly signals the arrival of Malachi's promised messengers. So, so the very words that we read from the last prophetic voice of the Old Testament, they're, they're, you look at them in, in Malachi 4, 5, and 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Verse 6 And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now, you jump ahead. 400 years later, an angel comes and brings this announcement to Zechariah, Luke 1 13 through 17. I want you to see the similarity here. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. You shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now look, he will turn 16. He will turn the hearts of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Just like Malachi said. Look at almost a direct quote, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the, diso- and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Almost an exact repetition of Malachi's prophecy. And that's not just blind luck. The plan of God is unfolding. And, and the way it unfolds is the last person to whom attention is drawn in the Old Covenant as it ends, is the first person on whom attention is focused in the new. That first messenger, John. John is intended to be seen as the connection between the Jewish roots and the Christian fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. And just to remove all doubt, Jesus himself pinpoints the same historic significance to John. You can see it in, in uh, Luke seven twenty seven. Jesus speaks, this is he, John, of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Now, Jesus is quoting Malachi there. That's what he's doing. Jesus is saying, we're the two messengers. John and I, we're the two messengers. We're the fulfillment of the last promise in the Jewish Old Testament scriptures. Those words don't apply to anyone else, Jesus says. There's no one else to look for. So, John prepares the way for Jesus. Jesus explains the significance of John. That's what you have happening here. I want to examine both. John and Jesus, each of these promised Christmas messengers. So, point number, sorry, point number one, the role of John the Baptist is absolutely unique in the scriptures. That's what I want to look at first. You might think of John just as another in a long line of Old Testament prophets, but I think that misses something that's special and totally different about John. Because like no one else before him, John becomes John becomes a link between two worlds, the old covenant world and the coming new covenant. John is the link. You'll notice that when you think about it. See, John didn't come on the scene proclaiming the same laws and rituals of the Old Testament sacrificial system. He didn't do that. Yet, he didn't proclaim the fullness of the gospel covenant either. That's what's so different about John the Baptist. He was, he was constantly, we, we studied this many times, he was constantly pointing out the sins of the people. He calls them to his baptism of repentance. But he doesn't ever call them back to their sacrificial system, their Jewish roots. He never does that. And we're meant to notice this. John doesn't do what Isaiah did, what Jeremiah did, and even what Malachi did. He's, he's constantly, John is constantly calling for inward brokenness, brokenness of heart, repentance for wickedness, without turning his hearers back to their religious system. It's strange. This is what our text predicted John would do. He left people almost right between two covenants. He called for broken hearts. He called for an end to religious emptiness and hypocrisy. He made the people aware of their desperate inward condition. In other words, he's preparing them for the new covenant, not sending them back to the old. When we get this picture of John, it explains some of the really interesting things that the scriptures say about him. Look at Luke 16, 16. The law, not laws, it's talking about the law, the whole law and the prophets, all of them, were, here's the time words, until John. Since then, so after John, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. Now, there's a lot there, but notice, it's it's the whole, the law, the era of the law and the prophets, they were until John. So, So, we know, this is from the lips of Jesus, by the way, that John somehow comes after the law and after all the prophets. He's not just one of them. So they were both closed before John. That's what Jesus clearly intended to say when he said the law and the prophets were only until, up to John the Baptist. In other words, John the Baptist isn't to be lumped in with the law and the prophets. But, but there's more. Jesus says something else. Something very strange about John the Baptist. Look at Matthew eleven eleven. Truly I say to you, Jesus is the speaker. Among those born of women, there has arisen, look at this, no one greater than John. Wow. No one greater than John the Baptist. But then he qualifies it. Yet, strangely, the one who is least in the kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven, is greater than John. So, greater is used two times in that verse. No one's greater than John the Baptist. The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. What does that, what, what does that mean? Where do those words leave us? Well, we know John comes after the law and the prophets. We already saw that. So, so he doesn't find his place among either of these. But, in the place of the kingdom of heaven... John is still less than all who will enter it after he. What does that mean and how can it be? And my my first point this morning is John comes on the scene exactly where God appoints him. His place is absolutely unique and God wants it perceived as being absolutely unique. It's precisely this unique place of John that makes him perfectly suited to prepare the way as Malachi's prophecy said, to prepare the way for God's redeeming Messiah. John is greater than all the prophets who came before him, but less than all who are entered the kingdom after him. So so John makes he marks the turning point. John is the the access, the tipping point on which the dawning of this new era hinges. So first, John is greater than any of his predecessors because he marks the end of an old covenant where people were called to adhere to shadows and figures of a promised coming covenant. He came on the scene, and he called the people to repent in their hearts and to get ready for the Old Covenant's fulfilling sacrifice. He didn't send people back to the blood of bulls and goats, as all the other prophets had done. He pointed them to the Lamb of God, remember, who takes away the sin of the whole world. So that's what we must remember about the uniqueness of John the Baptist. He directed people away from the partial to the complete. He started to turn people away from the temporary to the permanent. That, that's the glory. That's the glory of John's ministry. Jesus says, no one greater among women. John sees the dawn. Just, just the glow of the dawn of what all the other prophets longed for. John points to Christ and says, there, look, this is what we've been waiting for. So this answers half our question. It's not hard to see how John was greater than all who had come before him. It's not hard. I mean, John has one foot in each era. The law and the prophets were until John, but John saw what the others only hoped for. But what about that next question? How can Jesus say, 1111, how can Jesus say that John was less than any who entered the kingdom of God after him? It's right there. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does that mean? I think it means this, that John, for all his greatness, he was less than the least in the kingdom of heaven, because John's knowledge of the new covenant, it was, it was there, it was dawning, but it was partial. He didn't have the whole, the whole picture. He saw more than any of the prophets who had preceded him, but less than those who would enter the kingdom after him. It's true. It's true. John gloriously cries out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John one twenty nine. But as far as we know, he never saw Jesus' work beyond his sacrifice for sins. The Lamb of God. And while that is precious beyond all telling, it's not the whole revelation of the gospel covenant in the New Testament. So, so while John saw more than many of his predecessors that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, he he never captured the idea of Christ's resurrection from the dead. He never relished in Christ's triumph over death. He never anticipated the blessing of a sympathetic high priest interceding at the throne of God, interceding for the church. He saw the Lamb of God slain, but not seated at the right hand of the Father. So what I'm saying is the light of John's new covenant hope was surely there, but it wasn't fully developed. What John was blessed to see, it was true, but it was nowhere near the whole glory of the new covenant that those who would come after would see. So John saw more than those who came before, but nowhere near as much as those who had come after you can actually see. You can actually see some of these limitations that I've been talking about. You can see it in John's own words in his lifetime. Uh, Luke seven, eighteen to twenty. John's in prison. It's not going well. So let's pick it up. Last part of uh, Luke 7, 18. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, he sent them to the Lord saying, look it, are you the one who is to come? Should we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or, or shall we look for another? Poor John. This is the same John. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's gone wrong here? He's forced to see the partying and the celebrating of the enemies of the kingdom. The Messiah who was to come, the one John had announced with such faith and such vigor, that Messiah was supposed to come, the text said, with his winnowing fork in his hand. And he was supposed to burn all the rebellious chaff and stubble with the mighty heat of his holy wrath. And it wasn't happening. The chaff was partying upstairs. And so John sends his disciples just to politely ask, maybe, Jesus, do we get this all wrong? But this, this is all John knows. I mean, he saw the coming sacrifice of the Lamb of God, but he had no grasp of, of a marvelous coming kingdom in which the whole redemptive plan of God for this whole fallen world would reach completion, that would be global, that would be eternal, that would end in a new creation, far beyond just the oppressive works of Rome. Couldn't see it. I mean, that's why John was less than the least of those who would actually enter that kingdom with fuller understanding. John came merely to call people to repentance. He... he readied sinners to look beyond those animal sacrifices and all that they pointed to and pictured but couldn't fully accomplish. He prepared the way. That's what Malachi said. He prepared the way for the Lamb of God's death on the cross. I want to move on now. Our opening text from Malachi, it specifically mentions two coming messengers. Look at it again. Behold, I send my messenger, that's number one. He will prepare a way before me, that's number two. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So point number two, the second messenger in Malachi's prophecy is everything the first messenger yearned for. And I want to take some time as we wrap up. I want to unpack, uh, have a Bible, because I want you to look at some details, do a little bit of work as we study this second point. The first thing I want to look at is something that could easily just slip by unnoticed. There's something significant in the way Jesus changes, ever so slightly, Jesus changes the wording of Malachi's famous prophecy. That's what I want to look at. Look very carefully at these two texts back to back and put your finger under the words and try and trace for yourself the change Jesus makes. So here's here's uh, iPad text number one here that we're going to look at. Behold... I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. All right? And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, pay attention here, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, try and remember that. Notice, in this text, God himself is the speaker. He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That phrase, Lord of hosts, that's never used to describe anyone other than God Almighty. That title, Lord of hosts, it's, it's reserved. Notice something else. The divine speaker is still the one speaking in that last sentence. I... Send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Now, remember those details. And I want to look at where Jesus quotes this. It's in Matthew eleven ten. 10. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger, look, before your face. Who will prepare your way before you? Now, if you didn't catch it, Matthew makes it very clear that Jesus was referring to John the Baptist. John was the first messenger sent to prepare the way before you. But the point to notice is that last word in the sentence, prepare the way before you. You. Only that you was a me in Malachi's prophecy. What's going on? Is it important? Why does it matter? It matters because if the speaker in Malachi's prophecy is the Lord of hosts, I showed you that, so that the speaker and The second messenger are the same person. In other words, if the second messenger is God Almighty, he, John, will prepare the way before me, says the Lord of hosts, okay? And if the second messenger in Matthew's text is the one spoken to as the Messiah, the bearer of the new covenant, see how it's different? Behold, I send my messenger before your face, John, who will prepare your way before you, Here's what's happening. The Scriptures are bearing witness that the Messiah, the second messenger, the one we're studying, is none other than the Lord of hosts himself. These two texts show the second messenger and the Lord of hosts to be the same person. That's what Jesus was doing with those little edits of Malachi's prophecy. As if to mark his own identity, he came quite literally to his temple. Malachi 3.1 says, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. His temple, Malachi says. Jesus marked out the temple as being his temple. Just the way he, he gave this sign... He did it very intentionally to point to Malachi's prophecy. Do you remember? We studied it on our Wednesday night as we were going through Mark. Jesus comes into the temple, clears the money, changes, and he says, my temple will be called a house of prayer. That's what Jesus said about the temple. It's mine. It's mine. My temple will be called a house of prayer. Malachi, he will come to his temple. So clearly we see who this messenger is. He is rightfully the Lord of the temple. The second messenger, the Messiah, the one so clearly identified as the Lord of hosts. He came in a way, of course, that surprised everybody, including the first messenger, John the Baptist. John found it hard to believe that Jesus came and he left a lot of people are confused about this. Look at the world around you. John was so confused, Jesus came, left this wicked, wicked world standing without immediate judgment. So confused, he says, are you sure you're the one? Should we look for somebody else? This isn't working the way we thought. And John all but missed what, what Malachi pointed out in his prophecy. If you look for it, Jesus came with a different kind of covenant. Malachi described it, Malachi 3.1, the covenant in whom you delight. Delight. You'll delight in this covenant. Delight indeed. And no wonder. I mean, consider all the prophets who had lived and died seeing nothing but the wages of sin, hopeless graves swallowing up millions and millions of lives. But this covenant, the one in which you will delight, it it was different. It was based in God's wrath being swallowed up by the Lamb of God. It was based on the one who would come out of the grave in triumph and say, because I live, you shall live also. Different covenant indeed, because it was the Lord of hosts. the greatest of all delights, it came in the divine flesh of one who died for the ungodly. It came with terms of grace and favor for all those first covenant breakers, for the fallen, for those who don't keep God's laws. And it came for any people born of any race, any place, this global world rule of Christ to all who'd confess their sin, their lostness, and their guilt. Covenant in which you can delight. I hope you know Jesus Christ. The fulfillment, the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. What Christmas is all about. Where meek souls will receive him still. We sing it the dear Christ enters in. God bless you, church. Fill your heart with Christmas joy. Let's pray. We're so thankful for this text. All the details of your word, when we study them, they, they, they cohere together, they, they work. Truth builds upon truth we see the greatness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll speak to those who might be watching who know only of a religion, but don't have covenant assurance of salvation in which they delight. Bless our church. Keep your hand upon each one of us. Keep us close to You. Keep us rooted in Your Word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.